would think that something as simple as showering would not be that big of a hurdle to jump for me. But until recently, I was letting showering just kind of happen to me. If the kids' nap time coordinated on an afternoon and I didn't happen to have anything else planned or work that I needed to get done, maybe I would get a shower in. But after many, many afternoons passing and the stars and nap times not aligning, I got sick of washing my curly hair in the sink and I decided to make regular showers part of my schedule. Gosh, I never thought I was going to say this sentences on a podcast. Hey there, welcome to Letters to Women. This is a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our daily lives as Catholic women. And it's also a space to celebrate the ordinary stories of women in today's world. I'm Chloe Langer, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with Lila Lawler. Lila has a blog, Like Mother, Like Daughter, that I have been reading for years now. And she is who taught me the practicals of making showers a regular thing for myself. But that is one of so many things that I have learned from Lila. And she's recently compiled her practical and everyday wisdom into a three-volume set called The Summa Domestica, and that is what we are talking about today. So whether you're struggling to get a shower in or you wish you had just a handy guidebook on everything from education to kitchen drawer organizations, I have the book for you, or rather I have a three-book set for you. So if you're not sure when the last time you took a shower was, or if you can remember but you don't have a plan in place for the next time you'll take a shower, sister, this letter's for you. Today's episode is sponsored by Lovely Lady Linens, a Catholic women-owned company that designs and curates hand-blocked textiles inspired by the Blessed Mother, which makes them the absolute perfect sponsor for today's show. Lovely Lady Linens' goal is to inspire wives and mothers to create a beautiful space where we raise and nurture our families. And a portion of all proceeds goes to benefit a Catholic classic liberal arts high school in Africa. The Madonna napkins that I have in my home were on our dining room table for the last Christmas family get-together this past weekend, but I'm really striving to put them on the table for ordinary daily family meals as a reminder to both myself and my family that our dining room table and the conversation and the community that is happening around that space matters. So head over to lovelyladylinens.com and use the code LTW15 to save 15% off at checkout. Whether you're picking up napkins or one of their quilts to cozy up with around the fire this winter, Lovely Lady Linens products are the perfect way to remind you of the joy and beauty that you can cultivate in the sacred walls of your own home. You can follow them on Instagram at lovely underscore lady underscore linens. Now let's dive into this conversation with Lila. Today, I'm welcoming Lila Marie Lawler to the show. Lila is a wife of one, a mother of seven, and a grandmother of 16 and counting. She lives in Massachusetts. Lila encountered Christianity as a high school student and entered the Catholic Church in 1979, which was the year that she married Philip Lawler, the noted Catholic author and editor of Catholic World News. Lila practices kitchen sink philosophy at Like Mother, Like Daughter, a website for practical and theoretical insights into all aspects of daily life. She writes on everything from cooking and knitting to education and recovering what she and her daughters call the collective memory. Her previous book, co-authored with David Clayton, is The Little Oratory, A Beginner's Guide to Praying in the Home, and that's published by Sophia Institute Press. Lila, welcome to Letters to Women. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to be talking in this episode together about everything from showering to education and all the things that come in between that. To start this conversation off, and especially for women who are getting to know you for the first time, Lila, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Well, um, my story is that I was um, not raised Catholic. 
Um, my mother was what I call a lapsed Methodist, <laughs> although she later became a very good Catholic. And um, my father was Muslim. He was Egyptian. But he was primarily a scientist and engineer. He put a lot of stock in education, higher education. He was a professor. Um, they divorced when I was very young. I did not have a very happy childhood at all. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. Things were in a turmoil, especially where I live. Things were very rocky. And if I hadn't had um, the books that somehow my parents did give me and um, things that I read in school before the powers that be caught on that uh, they were letting goodness through <laughs> with good books in schools. And then later, uh, when I was a teenager, I actually met my husband-to-be. He's 10 years older than I am, but he was working with my mother, and I met him. If it hadn't been for those key things, I don't know where I'd be, but I, God was good to me, and I did encounter his truth. I, you know, I grew up in such a secular atmosphere, so politically charged, so full of ideology, that I did not even know the gospel story until I sat down as a junior in high school and just kind of read a gospel. The gospel of Matthew just opened, you know, my mother is a, at least having Protestantism in her background. She did have a Bible in the house and I, I just somehow opened it and I somehow read the gospel of Matthew. And, um, by the time I got to the end, I did believe. And that was, really the beginning for me of this journey but because of the turmoil of my childhood I really had no grounding whatsoever in any kind of idea of the Ten Commandments the imperative to live a good life I just knew nothing and I hadn't I did not have good habits and it was really a struggle and I mean I have to say it continues to be a struggle to this day um, to you know just try to be a better person and even to know what that is. At least now I know what it is. Whether I fall short is, you know, I mean, that's uh, definitely the case. But uh, yeah, so my journey as a Catholic woman has been to discover what Catholicism is and to learn little by little, very painfully, how to become one, you know, against the backdrop of a culture that very much pulled me in the other direction. And I think a lot of people who just encounter maybe the later phases of the blog, especially where I write um, and have written for now over probably 12 or so years, 13 years, I don't even know how long it is. Um, maybe they have the idea that I am one of these people who just was raised Catholic and knew how to do all sorts of things. And I'm just imparting my wisdom. But actually what motivates me is to say I had to learn all these things by the skin of my teeth and I'm just trying to save people a little, maybe who are in the same situation, to save them a little of the struggle and just the sheer reinventing the wheel that I had to go through. That So I'm by no means coming from a place of having known all these things, but rather having struggled to acquire them. So that's kind of, I would sum up my journey that way. <laughs> so I've been reading your blog for a very long time, ever since I was in high school, I remember at my mom's house, my parents' house, your blog being pulled up on my mom's computer. Oh, and reading through your posts and filing away information for you know the day that I was going to have my own family, God willing. And I remember reading one of your posts, which is one that a lot of people have read, which is how to take a shower. 
and thinking, <laughs> surely, surely I will not need advice on how to take a shower as a mom. <laughs> and then I became a mom and I realized I do need that. I do need that <laughs> advice. It is so hard to make that happen. I would love to hear you speak into what makes that blog post so popular, the why behind that. And then how have simple things like taking a shower, washing the floor helped you in your mm. own life as a wife and a mom? <laughs> well, it's so funny because my own mom, you know, was kind of like, uh, you wrote a post about taking this shower. Why would you do that? And I said, no, mom, really? I mean, this is really a struggle. And I think, I think that, um, for someone who did not grow up in a stable family life, I think there is just this, this perception of life as something that washes over you, that you are not in control of, that um, you know, you might do certain things because you have to at the last minute. You certainly don't plan them. They just happen to you. And um, it took me a long time to realize that I really needed not to take a shower when it came upon me that I just was kind of not clean and needed to take a shower that I needed actually to have the habit of taking a shower because it would make things easier for me instead of waiting until, you know, this reality descended upon me. Gosh, you need to take a shower <laughs> to just have showered. Like this is, you know, the idea that you're in control of certain basic things and I know that there are some people who really don't understand this. My own mother definitely didn't understand where I was coming from. You know, even though I would say that it's her choices that did put me in that position um, of just not having a stable life and not knowing from day to day what circumstances were going to occur and, you know, not just having the mentality of preparing for things ahead of time. I know that there are many people who are very prepared, very organized. They have it all together. They can not only shower and wash their floor and deal with things, but then they can go on to do other things that they then have room for. I realize that, but I think that there are some people who truly are, life is just coming at them and they don't realize that they can take a deep breath and think ahead and plan for certain basic things that are going to come up quite a bit, such as you're going to need to bathe, um, you're going to need to have a clean home, you're going to need to give meals to people who depend on you for that. And if you don't, there will be breakdowns. And you'll have goals, you'll have a lot of goals in your life, but you won't be able to achieve them, not because you don't have intelligence or um, ambition or anything like that, but simply because there are so many practical details that you haven't dealt with that you never get to those goals. So I am speaking to a very niche kind of group, but I mean, I would include myself in that group and hopefully, I mean, I feel like some people just need to hear, you know, you can actually do this. Yes. Even if you have it, you know, I think when you're in college or when you're a single person um, living, you know, in an apartment or whatever, you actually do have a time and you can just grab a shower and whatever, but and it doesn't, it seems like it all works out. But when you have an infant or when you have like three children plus an infant, if day after day you're just kind of slogging through in your yoga pants 
and you never actually feel fresh and able to cope with things, you know, maybe the time has come to just say, maybe I'll just plan for this. And so that's how that shower came about. I was kind of like, here's what you need to know about doing this every day with a baby. Um, yes, there are children, they're clamoring, but you can do it. So, you know, that's just kind of something that one day I just said, I've just got to write this and, and it happened and I, I just threw it out there and it is funny how people really do write to me and say, I really needed that post and I just have to laugh. I mean, I know because I was you. I was that girl. <laughs> I was that unshowered woman myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will link it in the show notes as well, so listeners can take a take a look through it because I love how practical it is. Because I I'm a Type A organizer, mm-hmm. and it's so much easier for me to say I'm going to block off time to mop the floor on Wednesday than it is for mm-hmm. me to think ahead of showering. And so mm-hmm. I think it might be a broader niche than you think. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of unshowered yeah. women when it comes to, especially to that season. Well, of and then I think there, I think it's funny, but I also think there's uh, also when you're married, I think there's a little psychological thing there too. I think you kind of, a person, a woman might get into the habit of not doing certain things and not, relating to certain people, not being prepared to do certain things because actually, like, I'm not showered. I don't actually want to put on good clothes because I'm not, I personally am not clean. Even to the point of, like, I kind of want to avoid my husband or just let him know, like, oh, I didn't take a shower today. It just actually, um, it's a practical thing that can start to condition a lot of important things in your life. I think a lot of people put maybe in social media for the past 10 years or so, people have been talking about self-care and I really never talk about self-care. I have a different view of things. And for me, it's not about indulging yourself. It's really about doing things so that you can truly confront your duties, having charity towards yourself, but also asking more of yourself. Maybe there's part of the woman, she can say to herself, I'm being selfless by not doing certain things for myself. But then underneath, there's almost like an excuse or a rationalization. And I've had people write to me or leave comments and say, "Um, well, I kind of use it as an excuse. Oh, honey, you know, not tonight. I didn't take a shower. Well, that's not actually charitable or generous. I actually think people don't want to live with a slob. (laughs) And, And, you know, maybe we should just be honest and say, like, actually, maybe not every day, but maybe like every third day, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of being a slob and I need to pull it together because it's actually kinder to other people. It's more generous. I'm just nicer to be around and I feel way better after taking a shower, wash my hair. Yay. Go me. I can do a lot of things. <laughs> so, so anyway, I think, you know, you can find peace and happiness through taking showers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm totally in that boat. I'm a believer. Lila. I'm a believer. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out there <laughs> so you've you've been sharing wisdom over on your blog and you recently have collected your wisdom and and thoughts into a three-part volume called the summa domestica a how how-to books on making and keeping a home that will serve your family best can you tell me about what inspired you to write down your advice and experience in a book form and then when readers readers crack that book open what are they going to find inside those pages 
Yes, so there are three volumes and they're in a slip case and they are very beautifully produced. I really have to um, shout out to Sophia Press. They did an amazing job of designing it. And each one of these books even has a ribbon in it. That is how beautiful they are. And they are illustrated by my daughter, Deirdre Folly. These books truly are something that came about, you know, in a way, I did start writing on the blog to somewhat throw out drafts of possible chapters for some vague idea I had for some book someday. And little by little, you know, I would write a little bit about this topic and a little bit about that topic and then go back to this other topic and write a little more. In the back of my mind, I thought maybe yeah, someday I would put together some sort of book. Well, 10 years later, I had so much material and the problem wasn't, as I thought at the beginning, like how would I ever get enough for a book? The problem was how will I pare it down to fit into three books? And I didn't even put in the recipes. So someday maybe I'll, maybe I'll work on a cookbook, which would be geared towards family life, large families, juggling and doing all the things I talk about on the blog, you know, which are really about how to manage your home Especially from the point of view of that the primary goal for the parents is to educate their children. Even for people who do not homeschool, I do talk a lot about homeschooling. I myself homeschooled um, most of my children, and homeschooling is a big thing to me. But even if you do not homeschool, when you are a parent, your primary goal in your marriage besides having children is educating them. And this requires a, an environment that is not only very practical to the point of like you need to have menus so that you can put supper on the table every day. You need to have certain standard of cleanliness in your home. You need to do the laundry, et cetera, et cetera, to having a curriculum on all these things. But even philosophically to say, to be at peace with why why as the woman am I the one who makes the home? What is the role of my husband? How do I support him? How does he support me? You know, what is this hierarchy in which the children fit? All of these things are things I've discussed all these years on the blog and I really have tried to put them into these volumes and readers were really the ones who would say to me, you know, about five, six years in to the writing of this blog, they would say to me, I keep on just going back in your archives. I just really wish that it was all in a book. I would love to hand this book to, you know, my daughter who's getting married or my friend, you know, you helped me. And now I see my friend could really use a book. And, you know, so that was really percolating in the back of my mind. Um, there were some other projects that came up in the meantime. But then finally, a few years ago, I really buckled down to the task of somehow wrestling all this material into some form that would be both comprehensive and organized and retain the somewhat incremental form that I have there on the blog, which little by little, I hope is what it is what I aim for, is to draw someone in little by little, say, you can do this, you can do this little thing, here's a little kick in the pants, <laughs> you know, take a shower, it's not going to, you know, be at peace. It's not going to be as hard as you think. Here's why. And just try to keep that approach of like, I'm not dumping it all on you at once. That's frightening. It's overwhelming. It's anxiety producing. I personally do not like the kind of blog posts that are, let alone books that are kind of like, here's that, you know, 52 things you need to know about homeschooling your children. I just 
my mind shuts down and I'm the kind of person who likes to, you know, think through everything super thoroughly. But I can only imagine, you know, as a younger mom, seeing something like that, I would have just said, no, forget it. I don't even want to go there. So I've always tried to just do a little at a time. So I try to keep that aspect in the books as well. So it's somewhat, you know, they're, the posts are there, but they're very edited. I had a wonderful editor. I really worked hard to make them a little more fully fleshed out and complete, but also to keep that chatty and more incremental form. Yes. I think you nailed it. It's wonderful. I loved it. When You know, when I first opened, I haven't read the books in the physical form. I've just read the PDFs. Uh So I'm excited to have the beauty of them in being able to hold them and having them off a screen. But when I first opened them up, I thought, oh my goodness, this is a very long book. This is a lot. (laughs) But then when you start into it, it's so beautiful because it's so manageable. It's just, I could read a couple of short little chapters in a nap time and it was oh, wonderful and it was it got me thinking throughout the day so you you 100% it was perfect it was wonderful i'm glad i'm really glad it it was truly a colossal <laughs> challenge <laughs> and i don't know but i'm glad to hear that you think so <laughs> so so in the same with domestica you you have advice on and thoughts on everything from dressing kids in cold weather to organizing your kitchen drawers and it's over the course of just about 1,500 pages. So to say we're going to touch on a few things is like the most dramatic understatement. (laughs) But I would love to visit with you in the time that we have left on just a few topics that stuck out to me while I was reading through those volumes. Um, And then to to close out, to just touch on this idea of collective memory and why that's so important in our lives as Catholic women today. So in the first volume, you focus on home culture and you write on discontent. And that caught my eye as I scanned the table of contents. And you write, my discontent arises because I'm comparing myself with everyone else and finding myself wanting. But the truth is today, here, now, there is nothing for it but this. I can make things better. I can make things different. But if I don't embrace the here and now and the this, I will have literally nothing. How do we, how do we root ourselves in our daily reality as wives and moms practically to embrace the here and now of our daily lives? Well, the first thing is, and this is what I really hope that people come away with, is, yeah, the whole, like, you can compare yourself, you can look at other people, you can read advice, including mine, and in a sense, you're kind of outsourcing everything and putting it on other people, but really, it is really you yourself, and God sees you, and you are there, and he has ordained in his ineffable will for you to be where you are at this moment. And it might not be a good situation and it may be that you have to change it or work on it or what, I don't know, but, and that would be in the future. But the moment that you're in is the will of God for you. And that could be, I mean, we have read books about people in concentration camp. Nobody's saying that it's the will of God that anyone goes to a concentration camp. But if you find yourself there, you know that that is, at that moment, that is where God wants you to be. And likewise, you could be on, you know, if you had taken a hike, then that is where you should be. And if you are at the kitchen sink, then at that moment, that is where you should be. To abandon yourself to that reality, that's reality. And to say, Lord, here I am. I do want to do your will. Help me, help me to do it. And then to know that it's all love and 
that is a beautiful thing. And then from there, you know, you can say, well, here are the things, you know, under his eyes that, yeah, definitely could be improved probably about myself <laughs> and move from there. But I think that as women, especially with what we are bombarded with in social media and pictures and ideal images that behind them, maybe we aren't seeing a lot of work and behind the scenes and other people that are making them happen. You know, there's the prototypical thing or the archetypal thing of the um, cooking show where there's somebody actually crouched behind <laughs> under the counter taking the dirty pots from the the, the, uh, the star, you know, as she's whipping up whatever. Like, you're not seeing that person under the counter. And when we're home with our children, there isn't anybody <laughs> behind <it>. the counter <laughs> to help us. So I think, you know, to just say, yeah, like, this is my reality and I just I really do need to love it and embrace it and see that it's good you know and work with that and yeah and so then there are a lot of practical things and um, I do try I mean there's no end to the things in the world so it could have been a way longer book <laughs> and I had to be very firm with myself and not put everything in there and simply hope that it's kind of a template or a guiding principle of if you couldn't see that I'm saying X, Y, and Z about how to exactly to do the dishes, that you can apply that kind of systematic mm -hmm. approach to other things. In I, I think that a woman in her home is very much a manager, an engineer. There's so many, she has to use her mind. There's so many problems to solve, systems to put into place. And it, and it can be actually really challenging and fun. And to say, you know, I'm not going to be buried under dishes every single day. I'm going to figure it out. And, uh, I'm here to help with that. So, uh, there, and there are even diagrams in there for that. So all the different things that we have to tackle and to do with a fighting spirit to say, I'm going to do it. Mm. I am going to use my mind and I'm going to figure it out so that we can enjoy each other, have a little extra time where we're not just struggling with the, you know, nuts and bolts of life, but we figured those things out. And so we have a little extra time to sit and read a book, talk with each other, enjoy each other, um, live life. This, the first volume of the Suma Domestica busted the myth that women just, just stay at home. That there's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, oh, what do you even do during the day? I think it was so mm -hmm. beautiful to read through this first volume and see the art and the genius of making a home and, and all of the thought and the intention that goes into that. It was just a really good reminder that, okay. yeah, that it is, that, that there's so much to grow in for myself who's <laughs> just mm -hmm. starting out on this journey. But it was really, it was a, it's a fantastic first first volume. Oh, I'm glad. So then in the, in the second volume, you talk all about education. My oldest is not even three yet, but conversations about education are already happening between my husband and I. And I think you already spoke into this because we're the primary educators. It's not like that education starts at pre-K or kindergarten. That's something that is very much in the spirit of a home. You start off this volume by laying the foundation of being happy at home. And you write, mm -hmm. homeschooling or not, it's worth the effort to commit to devote yourself to the mission of building your family and beyond into the community and the culture to do what it takes. Why Why is being happy at home the foundation of educating our children? Like you said, regardless of what education option a family chooses for each child. Well, the family really is 
the heart of society. And I think we're kind of finding that out now as families and homes are disappearing and we have empty neighborhoods and we have the government stepping in to run things that formerly were run and taken care of by women at home, taking care of the elderly, taking care of children, just as part of their day, just being there, you know, seemingly not having that much to do, but actually just being available. We are seeing what it's like now to lose that because we had this long period where we were moving away from it, but it was still there and we could still rely on it. And so I do want people to grapple with something that's almost so much like the air that we breathed that we didn't notice it. And, but it really is the truth of the importance of the family and the family being happy. It's based on the wonderful God-given relationship between the husband and wife, freely chosen, that they love each other and they come together to form a union that is enfleshed. So it is very much, it's not abstract and it's not an ideal. It is a reality that is very much grounded in their bodies to the point that another person comes from it. And then that little person is someone who from the very moment of its conception is enveloped in what really has to be just the um, loving embrace. And that love overflows and the child is born, the, how the child is held, how the child is spoken to, all of those things you know, and including the suffering and the misunderstandings and all the struggles and the forgiveness, all of those things go into building a happy home. And, you know, very much including the bad things too. But it, but when we are able to forgive with Christian love, then we just, it, the bonds become even stronger and each person is being formed by that. You know, John Paul II said in many of his writings, especially about the family, he said, all humanity passes through the family. Every single person has to pass through a family. We see that like that's proven in the breach when we know that there is someone who didn't have a family. We're all the more struck by how necessary it is and how what a tragedy that is for that to happen. You know, and who is who is going to do this when you strip it down to its most primal aspects? You have to have someone, the man who is going to provide and protect this family, provide for and protect the family, and the woman who will be in the heart of it and be making it, that's going to be the pattern. Yes, there are times when the pattern is disturbed, but that is the pattern. And it's come, the time has come for us to look at that pattern and to make up our minds that we are going to recover it. Without it, we have persons who are not passing through the family. And that is, as I said, a tragedy. So to just commit ourselves to that as a very basic thing, yes, I will be there. I will do these things. I will do what it takes for us to live together and and we will we will forgive each other and we will pick up and begin again. And that becomes an education in itself. So a lot of times when people are talking about education, they focus on curriculum and one of the things I'm trying to say is that there is this larger curriculum, this greater pattern of just simple life at home and the smaller curriculum with a small C of just what subjects you study and, you know, whether there's Latin in there and French and what have you. Those are just particular things and they do have to happen. And I give a lot of advice about that, too. But that's just a small part of it. And really, it's the conversations around the dinner table. But how are you going to have a conversation around the dinner table 
if you never know what's for supper and you didn't go shopping and you forgot to put it on until they're already breaking down because they're hungry. So I do try to give the really nitty gritty details of let's make it happen. So in, in the last volume of Suma Domestica, you, you get nitty gritty and talk about everything from daily cleaning to deep cleaning in all things housekeeping. But I think you also answer this question that plagues me every time I start any type of cleaning, which is where to start. And I think that your answer to this really pairs beautifully with what you're talking about at the family and a marriage and the vocation at the core of a family. Because you write that after 30 years of reflection, you advise that wives and moms start their cleaning in the bedroom that they share with their husbands. So mm-hmm. why, why start there? And, and how do we start there? <laughs> I think that the default position is to start your deep cleaning or your regular cleaning even in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I get that. But I just want to say that the kitchen is going to get clean because it just has to. You're going to be there (laughs) no matter what. You'll be there. But um, so, you know, it's going to happen. You have to know how to clean your kitchen. But the actual cleaning starts in the bedroom because this is the foundation of your marriage. So the marriage is married life is really expressed in two places, a, a very fundamental way and one is at at the dinner table where we're sharing with each other husband and wife and children and guests we're sharing our conviviality and a meal and all of that represents but the other place is the bedroom and that is truly truly fundamental for the relationship between the husband and wife the enfleshment of their relationship the one flesh that they make when they come together the sacramental aspect and the wife is really going to be taking care of that bedroom or not taking care of it. And what does it say to her husband when it's piled with clean laundry over here and dirty laundry over there and nothing's put away and everything that is needs to get, you know, sorted everywhere else gets shoved in there. It's like clothes piled on chairs and what have you. Now I'm coming clean as the person who does put my clothes on the chair. <laughs> my husband doesn't, I do. Um, but but fundamentally, that needs to be like the bed needs to be made and even have clean sheets on it. I do fold my laundry on my bed, but then whisk it away. There aren't piles and piles and stacks of things there because when my husband goes in there, I want it to say to him, you worked hard all day, you fought the battles, you slayed the dragons, you spent your day with people you don't necessarily like. I spend my day with people I chose <laughs> and God gave me and are, you know, like cute little angels or even if they were brats and horrible, they are my brats. <laughs> They're not somebody else's brats. So it's kind of like, you know, he really does need a refuge and and when we're really saying something, when we take care of our of of that bedroom that belongs to the two of us, and if that's orderly, then we can go on and tackle all the rest. The rest will not be a problem. If that's disorderly, every single night, we will be saying to ourselves, somehow, as I get into bed, I kind of failed. Because the last thing we're going to look at is the disorder in our room. Yeah, getting that foundation right and having mm-hmm. that impact the rest of the home versus kind mm-hmm. of being left 
in the margins if I have some time or like you said, kind of being the the catch all of all the things that I didn't get done that day. Throughout these three parts of the Summa Domestica, you're referring to this importance of the collective memory and how that is really being lost in today's world. And in the introduction to the very first volume, you write, without the collective memory, we're doomed to one of two fates, forgetting what those before us have learned to our own impoverishment and that of any children that we might have, or being forced to reinvent it all in every family. What advice would you give when it comes to preserving this collective memory of our own families? And especially ask this question for listeners who may be raising families far away from parents or grandparents or other family members, or or just kind of have this general feeling that they're the ones that are kind of starting this all from scratch again. Yeah, it's really it's really difficult, and it truly is the challenge of our age because because on in many different areas in many different parts of our culture, there has been a decided, concerted effort to sever ties with the past. Whether it's education, architecture, art, government, uh, you know, our political realm, every aspect of modern life is based on the idea that what went on in the past is worthless and or even bad. And that it's reinventing things that is good and even reinventing for its own sake. So even things that were in the very recent past have to be discarded. And there's just this this sense of constant change. And it's very destabilizing because human nature actually thrives on stability. No one can create an entire culture on its own or even all together in one generation, it's just not possible. A culture is built on the efforts of the generations that have gone before. You know, you are, people have heard the phrase of pygmies standing on giants' shoulders. That's the whole idea of that there is this collective memory and, and you're, you are the recipient of it and you pay it forward to the next generation. And that is how something really beautiful is built. To be a society that just says, we're going to do away with all that. We don't want that. That's crazy. That's just absolutely crazy. And it's also the privilege of a bunch of people who just happen to be the beneficiaries of um, prosperity and actually living quite a long time, not having a, a very short life expectancy. And it's kind of like, you know, you're just in this phase of knowing everything, quote unquote, for so long, for decades and decades, you think you really are the masters of the universe. Well, no. And it's kind of all crumbling because when you intentionally forget what went before, you just end up, you end up with, with just nothing. So I would say that, you know, the, yeah, it's really difficult. I think divorce is a perfect uh, example of this in an example of, people looking at institution marriage and saying, we don't need that. Mm -hmm. And as the child of divorce, I can say, yeah, like there were things that were simply not passed down to me because my parents just weren't married. And so they were busy doing other things. And um, I think for the young person starting out to just say, I will try to find out how people did these things before I arrived on the scene and to respect the past and not to dismiss it and not to dismiss older people um, and their wisdom. Although I think that the, the age group that created all this disorder and disconnect 
are now aging out and they don't think we should listen to them because they had bad ideas. So you'll have a lot of 70 year old women, you know, kind of encouraging younger women to get rid of their husbands and you need to do your thing. And, you know, they're just like aging, bitter feminists who, yeah, they destroyed their own lives and now they're off ready and willing to destroy the lives of the young. So to be used wisdom and to say, I'm not going to listen to the people who were responsible for all this, but I am going to listen to the ones who tried to preserve it. And they have, and there are books and there are people attempting to restore tradition and to restore these ideas um, in all the areas, you know, again, like art, architecture, um, human relationships, whether it's on the state level or the level of family, education, all those things. There are people actively working to restore the old ways. The old ways also needed to be open to new ideas and those new ideas built on the old ways and there's this kind of natural flourishing that happens and that's a good thing and we need to somehow recover that. Is it a process of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps? Kind of, kind of. It's kind of scary. And, you know, I don't think I have all the answers by any means. All I can say is just try to respect the past. Try to search it out. Try not to dismiss things with that debunking attitude that's so much a part of how we look at everything and we may not even realize it in ourselves. I think people, younger people are starting to notice this and to realize this. And um, I think that's a good sign, a sign of hope. Yeah, and I, um, and also not to lose patience with oneself because, you know, you can't, you can't do it all and you can't, even, you know, to, if, if we say, what's the goal for my children would be to offer them some stability, even in just the little things of, these are the patterns of how we live every day, every week, you know, the larger patterns of the year. And there is a liturgical year that we can definitely be a part of that will help us to do that. So the life of the church very much becomes the curriculum for our life at home lived in union with it. And that will really be our main resource and the source of grace. And, and you know, in every age, even in an age that isn't beset by modernism, the desire for constant change the way ours is, every age has its struggles. So we need to know that. We need to know that our real place is in heaven. It's not here on earth. And to just do our best and to know that God really is very pleased with someone who's trying to do her best. (laughs) So that's, we can rest in that. For listeners who are listening on this conversation and they are wanting to dive deeper, where can they first pick up a copy of your three-volume set, The Summa Domestica, published by Sophia Institute Press? And then how can they connect with you online if they want to dive into the blog, the archives, and get to know you better? So uh, The Summa Domestica, Order and Wonder in Family Life, is available from Sophia Institute Press. Just go there and you can order it. Um, it is available on other the other outlets that um, one normally can order books from. Um, although I will say that it is currently not available on Amazon, at, but at Sophia they do have stock that probably will. There's just been a lot of supply chain issues, so within a lot of things, not just this. <laughs> and 
they can find me at my blog, like mother, like daughter, and that's at like mother, like daughter.org. And I have another um, smaller blog called Happy Despite Them. So they can find that me there. That's where I just write little things without necessarily posting a picture. I like on my big blog to always have a picture. Um, I have also written a book um, on the church's teaching on marriage called God Has No Grandchildren. And that is a guided reading of the encyclical Casti Canubi, which is the fullest expression of the teaching of the Catholic Church on marriage. I have my book, The Little Oratory, that I wrote with David Clayton. That's available from Sophia Institute Press and also on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And I think that is probably it. That's where you can find me. So you can just, oh, I'm on Instagram and on Twitter wow. and on Facebook. <laughs> so and message me there or send me an email and I will do my best to respond. I have one, one last quick question for you before we close out our time together. And this is the, the question that I ask every woman who comes on the Letters to Women podcast. And it's this one. How do you live out the feminine genius, especially as a woman who knows the importance of maintaining a collective memory in today's world? So the feminine genius is expressed in per, its perfect form in Our Lady, Mary, the Mother of God. And she lived a truly perfectly hidden life. She did not search any honors. She was completely devoted to her spouse, St. Joseph, and to the child Jesus. And she is our pattern. And she is, uh, if we delve into her persona in scripture, we realize that she is everything, including she is a warrior woman, um, as reflected in the great women of, um, and prefigured in the great women of the Old Testament in Judith and Esther and in the mother of the Maccabees. She is someone who knew that her son would suffer and who was actually very much behind his suffering. She knew that that was what was needed to accomplish our salvation, and she did not shrink from it. And in fact, like the mother of the Maccabees, she just said, my son, I will see you in heaven. And that is what we need to realize, is that she is the sorrowing mother, she's the beautiful, tender mother, but she's also the warrior mother, um, without in any way usurping the roles that in the hierarchy of life were above her. So she was subject to her husband, her spouse on earth, St. Joseph, and she was the queen of the apostles without herself being an apostle. And this is something that women need to learn in order to truly be that woman of genius is to realize that there is a hierarchy to life and that we need to fit into that hierarchy because it is all, every level of it is about serving those who are below us, who are weaker than us. So the people who are highest in the hierarchy, let's say in a family, the husband is the leader and the head, but his role is to serve to the point of death for his family. So we need to understand that this inverts the idea that the world has of hierarchy and power and so on. And when once women finally understand that, that 
Mary, the mother of God, lived in this hierarchy, and she is, in fact, the highest human being ever to be created, or for that matter, creature of any kind, including the angels, and yet she is God's lowly handmaid, the happier we will be. <laughs> so this is, this is how I try to express what I know of the feminine genius and that I hope I convey. So it's a very beautiful, very hidden life in which we will ultimately, if we truly live it with um, fidelity, we will be participating in what she accomplished here in this world and then hopefully in heaven we'll be her daughters and we'll be there with her in God's presence. Oh, Lila, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a delight to get to know you. Um, and I, I could sit here and talk to you for hours. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. I really do. Mm, absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Letters to Women podcast. You can check out the show notes for my conversation with Lila over at letterstowomenpodcast.com, or you can just scroll down to browse through the links to check out resources that we mentioned in the show, like the links to that blog post on showering that Lila and I talk about, as well as the link to buy the Summa Domestica from Sophia Institute Press. You're also going to find a link to browse lovely lady linens, and remember to use that code LTW15 to receive 15% off your order at checkout. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you know a woman, maybe it's a friend in your mom's group or your sister who just got married who would love this conversation, could you send it her way? If the conversations that you hear like this one on the Letters to Women podcast are something that you would recommend to a friend and you happen to be an Apple podcast listener, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast because your comments help me shape future shows, but they also tell other women about the show and what you like and why they should tune in too. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at letters to women underscore podcast. And this today, if you're listening on Monday, is the last day to enter a massive giveaway that's featuring some beautiful prizes from the women who joined me on the Letters to Women podcast in 2021. So 19 prizes and 19 winners. And I would love to send you one of those prizes. So head over on Instagram to check it out. But if you're not on social media, no worries. You can still enter by heading over to letters to women podcast.com slash giveaway. That is all I have for today's episode. And I'm so excited to start into this new year with you as we continue these conversations on Catholic womanhood in today's world. And until next time, be not afraid. <laughs>